the first reason is very silly uh, is because my parents um, really, really wanted me to <laughs> pursue a master's degree and they would not stop nagging about it until I actually started. Welcome to an episode of Roadmap, a podcast for aspiring product managers that wish to break into the industry. I'm Thomas Shu, a student at Cal Berkeley and your host. Today we have April Lee with us, who is a former product manager at Lime and Wish. Um, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, just as a start, can you give our audience a brief introduction of yourself and your background? Yeah, of course. Um, so hi everyone, my name is April. I am currently an unemployed product manager. Um, I'm in transition to my next role at a crypto startup. Uh, before this, I was a product manager at Wish um, and I started my PM career at Lime, the micromobility uh, startup, I would say. I joined Lime at a very, very early stage. So I got to you know, work on all sorts of problem space. Um, and later on, I really kind of um, zoned in into the growth space. So I worked on kind of the writer growth uh, vertical, uh, thinking about how do we activate new users onto their very first ride on scooters, bikes, what have you. And also the retention of existing riders, identifying pain points that might cause them to churn um, and how do we keep them uh, engaged. Um, and then from there, after you know, a little over a couple of years, I, I wanted to see what's out there. I wanted to you know, either have a change of scenery in terms of industry, um, but also perhaps change um, you know, to the other side of marketplace. Um, I al- I've always wondered you know, how to build products for businesses. Um, so kind of looking into the B2B space, uh, or supply side of the marketplace. Um, and Wish really came into play. Uh, it seems like a really, really exciting space to be in. Um, and I joined at the start of COVID. Um, so things got really, really crazy. And I have really witnessed how the teams come together to overcome all the logistic challenges that, you know, that's out there, that's unprecedented. Um, and now I'm at a point where I feel I wanted to kind of join a industry and a startup um, that I've been really passionate about, uh, perhaps not as a generalist anymore, but applying some of the knowledge that I have um, and, and learning as, as much domain knowledge as I can on the job. So uh, that's where I decided to uh, hop into the crypto space. Awesome, awesome. Um, did you already know the crypto space pretty well already or um, or just generally interested? Uh, I'm, I'm asking because, you know, a lot of verticals like crypto usually require industry knowledge. And I was wondering, like, how, you know, did you break into that? Yeah, I, um, I would consider myself a crypto curious uh, or newbie. Um, I think with as with a lot of the people out there, um, I don't consider myself like a veteran in crypto. Um, but I think since COVID uh, started, I, I really looked at crypto in a different light. Before that, it was definitely something that's um, kind of a wild beast, in my opinion, and, and it's, it's uncharted water. And, um, but since COVID, um, crypto space has become more mainstream with a lot of the meme uh, tokens out there, right? And 
Also, the stock market is very much decoupled with the crypto market. And that's a really good sign because now people like me, like, uh, like me who are curious about the crypto space in terms of investment, now are looking at crypto space to invest and do all sorts of things. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so since COVID started, that's where I um, uh, started looking to the space. And I've had mentors, uh, actually the managers that I will be joining uh, at the end of this month um, is definitely a veteran in crypto space. So I am really looking forward to learning a ton from him as well. Great. Um, so what are some ways for, you know, newbies to kind of learn, you know, enough industry knowledge to kind of get that interview and eventually get the offer? Because, you know, fintech, crypto, maybe prop tech, some of, you know, the verticals are very distant from our day to day life. What are some things that you did to um, break into the space? Yeah, I think um, I think that we can talk about perhaps, uh, you know, a break this question into two parts. One is, you know, how do you become a product manager? And then how do you become a product manager in a very, very domain specific space? Um, I'll talk about the first part. Um, I think breaking into VM, there's so many, you know, uh, resources out there telling us, teaching us how do we, how to break into PM. In fact, I'm going to actually talk about that in my next Substack uh, articles, uh, specifically uh, from, you know, People from all sorts of backgrounds, how do you leverage your personal moat to uh, into your pitch and um, get started in the space? I think uh, the main thing, the first thing you wanna do is um, find your niche. Um, it can be anything. Um, it can be that you have a very strong product sense or product intuition. It can be that you have a very, uh, you know, fair amount of technical background. It can be that you're very analytical it can also be that you are very sympathetic, empathetic towards customers, very customer centric, right? Um, and you can be anywhere in your career to find that niche. And once you find that niche, niche, that's something you want to uh, build on top of. You want to now look at some of the product management um, framework. And there are a lot of books out there to think about your niche in that light. Um, you know, understanding, great, you have a product, a really strong product sense, you know what makes a good product experience, then um, is there any structure that you can lend to your product experience design? Um, there are many, many, you know, uh, jargons, right? There are many frameworks that uh, great product managers have put out there. Um, so from there, at a point where you, uh, you feel confident enough to form your own opinion with a good framework, that's where you can start reaching out to people. Um, you can reach out to industries that you find yourself very interested in um, or very interested in learning more about, and you form some kind of opinion about this vertical, this marketplace. Um, and in your cold networking, um, don't just you know blurt out a very generic sentence about wanting to connect and what have you actually go a, a step further that, you know, state your opinion in some matter, ask a meaningful question, um, start a conversation instead of putting out a statement, right? Um, a conversation that invites people to respond. Um, I like to use the term ROI. Um, it's return on impression. And that's what networking is really about. Networking is not about 
putting in time or resources, um, it's really result driven. It's looking at for each impression that you make towards, I think that's kind of the very, very rough um, rule of thumb that I have for breaking into the space. And, you know, breaking into a very domain specific space, um, I'm of the opinion that product managers should be generalist, regardless of the space. That it's very true that crypto, fintech, or either e-commerce have a very specific domain knowledge, but it's nothing that you can't learn. It's more important that you as an aspiring product manager in that space, you are you have the right attitude to learn and you are a fast learner. You are resourceful in a lot of the things. Um, during this break that I have before joining, uh, starting my first day, I listened to all sorts of podcasts. I asked my manager, my, my mentor, what type of, uh, you know, uh, articles or website should I uh, check out? Um, so I do that daily, um, making sure that I'm well prepared to start my first day. And that's the kind of attitude that you should have. And you should definitely do so on the job. Um, so I'm, I, I don't want to discourage anyone who wanted to be in fintech as a product manager. I, I don't want to discourage them from applying because I don't think that's true. Uh, the fact that you need to have some sort of experience to start in the space. For sure, for sure. That's a, that's a solid point. Um, and, and we'll get back to that in the second part of the episode. Um, but before we move into that, I saw that you're doing a survey on, on the question of, you know, choosing big companies versus small startups. And yeah. it seems like you've condensed some, some thoughts about that topic. So yeah. can you tell us um, your point of view on choosing companies and maybe some of the thought process behind some of your decisions? Yeah, I... Um... Spoiler alert, I definitely off the in the camp of startups. Um, and if you asked me this question maybe a month ago, uh, I'm, I might give a less certain or deterministic answer. And if you asked me this question two years uh, before, I would say I wanted to go where the money is. And th this drastic change uh, has a lot of factors in, in play. Uh, one is the timing, the climate. Um, I think we're at a very, very interesting time where um, employment, tech employment is no longer the way it was, where everyone needs to be in San Francisco or Silicon Valley or New York or Washington. Uh, I don't want to leave out any cities in this case, but it's no longer, no longer the place. Um, me, for example, I left San Francisco in March 2020 or April 2020. Yeah. And uh, ever since then, I loved the fact that we're able to work remotely. And that comes with the cost also is now your personal life and work has blended together. And you need to actually find, look into yourself and into work and find what's driving you to come to your desk every day and do the work. Uh, you need to find that motivation. And, and that motivation can be learning can be earning. I think um, Gary Tan, the, the investor, had a YouTube video about it. And I think it's really, really true. And I might add that at this time, at this age, earning is not enough. Um, the reason why I left Wish was because I don't feel like I'm learning enough. I'm earning, but I'm not learning. Um, so I think the ultimate motivation behind everyone or most folks is the fact that you can continue to learn. Um, and big tech, uh, perhaps at someone, uh, your tenure at a big tech company, at some point, you might reach a bottleneck. 
you might need to either transfer to another team and find something that, that's fresh and stimulating enough for, for you to learn. Um, and and uh, that's one of the reasons I, I am leaning towards startup because it gives a product manager a lot of ownership and you get to think about all the issues that you know, your product might have and how you can actually make impact rapidly. Um, so it's a great learning opportunity. The other thing is perhaps is a little bit biased is I realized as a product manager, you should be the product owner of a product. And at a big tech company, you aren't really or truly a product owner. I think everyone can be a product owner. Uh, I'm not saying product manager should be the product owner. Product manager should be a product owner. But that wasn't, that sh- that's, I guess it's difficult to be the case in big tech companies um, because there are factors at play where, you know, company OKR, um, stakeholder management, uh, the team size grow way too big for you to actually focus on certain OKR, what have you. Where at startup, you are, you know, you're made, you're forced to be that product owner, to be a product owner with your team. Um, and if you wanted to, I, I, I'm of the belief that if you want to be a good product manager, a product owner, at some point you should really immerse yourself in the startup world because that's where you really gain, uh, you, you make decisions independently, um, not with the influence or restrictions that's out of your control. Um, so that's the second inherent reason that I think startup is good for a product manager. And then the third thing I want, I might add is learning, right? I, I kind of touched on it a little bit, but learning between in a big tech company and in a startup are a little bit different. Um, I think in the survey that I conducted, um, I would say, uh, I would say almost all the students wanted to join a big tech company. And the reason that the layout is to learn as much about product management practices before doing their own thing or joining a startup, what have you. Um, I think that's a type of learning that I myself actually believed in before. Um, I wanted to join big tech companies. I wanted to see what 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 they are doing, what are the practices they have. Um, but later or now, I realized that's perhaps a very restrictive way uh, to, to think about learning. Um, I think the best way to learn as a product manager is hands-on experience and mentoring. And in, in a lot of the startup, um, the reason why you might join a startup team or join any team is people, the culture. You wanna look at who, who your managers are, who your teammates are, um, and you wanna make sure that they have something that you wanna learn from and uh, will be a pleasant teammates to work with. And I think that's where the mentoring and uh, learning opportunity come from. I think it's just likely, more likely at a big tech companies that you have more resources like that. Um, but you still need to be you know, reaching out and um, networking and what have you to really learn. But in a st- small startup where your teammates are there with you uh, learning on the spot and you can actually get their opinions and how they think, and they might be from a big tech companies and you can ask them about questions, about um, you know, questions that you might had. Um, so I think like on that note, big tech and startup uh, offer just similar amount of opportun- learning opportunities with the exception that startups are more hands-on. Yeah, for sure. Cause 
you know, I, I feel like one of the biggest concern for, you know, new grad, especially, is that um, they're trying to balance this, you know, ownership versus this mentorship and maybe financial security um, as they're starting off their career, right? How would you, you know, it, obviously, we all know those big tech firms are, you know, their program, it's, you know, they have their own landing page and all that stuff. <laughs> you can read about them. Um, but like yeah. in startups, a lot of times are just, you know, you're just talking to a few folks and you don't really know what's going on within the company. Um, so yeah. on that note, how would you pick a startup to work for? I, I think actually, if you think about it, startups offer way more p- uh, product related roles than big tech companies. Um, it's actually going to be much easier to join a startup as a PM or any you know product related roles. Um, I I definitely understand um, you know the concern about financial security, especially if you are like an international student. I would I am an international student. I was an international student. Um, and I had to, you know, find companies that sponsor me. And I've always been under the pressure that, you know, the companies that the startups that I looked at might not be secure enough or stable enough for me to stay on H1B or what have you. Um, that really limits my search, limited my search at the beginning. But if you we, if we look at it now, I think things have changed drastically. I I've seen startups that it's in stealth mode that it was in stealth mode, um, offer H1B sponsorship. And I think that's something that's great to see. And um, I would recommend, you know, and encourage people out there to not regard that as a restricting factor and just network and find the startup that you really, really resonate with and go for it, start the conversation. And one thing I also discovered is in networking, um, perhaps you, the startup are not hiring for people like you yet. Um, I actually managed to foster some relationship or friendship with the people I networked with um, down the line, all right? And, and let down the line, they offer opportunities like referrals and what have you. I think it's more important to regard networking as an opportunity to really communicate and learn instead of getting in the door of something. Um, so that's a side note on, on networking again. But I would say like one thing that I mentioned earlier about security and what have you, um, put a paint on it and just not worry about it for now. Uh, focus on what really matters. The other thing is there are a lot of resources that actually help you look at startups. One, there, there are a lot of influencer or content creators in the product management field actually aggregate a lot of the out openings in the, drop, uh, in the job board. Um, I recommend uh, Lenny Richiski, who was a Airbnb product manager and turned into a solo entrepreneur who writes a lot of newsletters. And he has a job board for a lot of the startup opportunities. Um, and they, he has a, a Slack community that offers uh, job opening posts uh, for everyone. Um, I, it's, a, it's a paid subscription, but I, overall, I think it's really worth it. Um, and, and there are other influencers like him that offer job board, curated job board based on their preferences and, and research. Um, so, yeah, there are resources out there and, and don't feel limited to look into those. So moving along, um, can you share a bit about your, you know, what was your journey like transitioning into product? Um, you know, can, can you share more about like one, 
what caused you to change to a different industry? And two, yeah. you know, what was the transition like? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, so uh, as you know, Berkeley is a very tech entrepreneurial uh, focused uh, university. And very early on, as soon as I joined Berkeley, I realized I wanted to be in the tech world. Um, and I wanted to, you know, be related to tech world one way or another. I always, at the time, I always believed that I would be an entrepreneur. Uh, but, you know, the idea, team, as well as timing hasn't really, hadn't really seemed right to me at the time. So I decided to give VC Venture Capital uh, a try. Um, and I started networking with a lot of the investors. Um, and that's how I kind of got my uh, internships at a San Francisco VC firm. Uh, in tech and as an investment analyst. I interned them uh, there, I think one summer and one fall um, part-time and then moved on uh, to full-time after graduation. And at one point later in my senior year, that's when I realized uh, there is a role called product management out there. So um, it was, I encountered this term product management, product manager in one of the pitch meetings I had at the VC uh, firm when um, a startup was uh, pitching for funding. Um, long story short, the founder uh, got some feedbacks from, from us and said, oh, we're going to pass it to our product managers who optimize the user experience. And to me, that seemed like a really uh, interesting session because we, uh, we were talking about feedbacks on how to make this product experience better. Um, I feel like my voices are, were being heard. Um, I, we were contributing to the product experience that might actually reach millions, uh, what, what have you. Um, so that's when I really kind of looked into product management. Um, and as soon as I learned what product management does, I uh, decided I will transition into product management at some point. Um, so that's why very quickly after I graduated um, and joined as full-time, I started uh, transitioning into product management, I joined Lime. Um, and I think at Lime, I actually didn't start out as a product manager. I started out as a product marketing manager, uh, which is a product related role. Um, at a startup, uh, the beauty of being in a startup is the roles are not really well defined. Um, and you can actually do a lot of things within your control, right? If you're interested in product uh, related work, you can do more of those than uh, uh, on top of, you know, product marketing or what have you. So I, on day one with my manager, I told them that I told him that I wanted to transition to a product manager. Can you teach me how to, how to do so? Um, and I wanted to do more work in that uh, arena. Um, so I basically, over time, I got buy-ins from different stakeholders in my vision board uh, in becoming a product manager. And in my daily work, I actually do a lot, uh, a lot of the work as a product manager than as a product marketing manager. Um, in the end, I was able to transition very quickly into uh, a product manager. And uh, because I have experiences doing you know, product marketing management, I was able to really own the space of growth um, at Line. And, um, and I think, you know, one thing to learn here is regard your um, experiences, 
or in, as a, in a product related role um, as a resource. You want to work on something that you can later leverage and uh, to build your personal moat um, or niche, right? And that's something you can leverage as a product manager later on or just uh, your career uh, anyway. So, so yeah, that's kind of how I transitioned into PM from investment analyst um, uh, from the beginning. Yeah, so did anything catch you off guard in the early days when, when you were just starting out in, uh, in Lime? Yeah, um, that's a great uh, question. I think one of the things that kind of caught me off guard is, um, is, is the uh, concept of OKR. Um, at that time, I was reading, uh, I think, uh, Measure What Matters, I think that's the name, uh, OKR uh, by John Doerr. Um, and I didn't really have that concept of OKR at the time. I was in a VC firm and what have you. We don't have OKR. We only have like, you know, financial goals and what have you. Um, and understanding OKR and how it actually works in a startup was a little bit challenging for me. Um, I couldn't quite pinpoint why, uh, but now when I think about it, there are two parts. One is OKR on its own, the way that John Doerr has in, in, inscribed, perhaps do not work on a small scale startup. Um, and John Doerr had you know, experiences in Google and you know, Google is, is the company that does OKR very well, right? Um, but it's very different from the day-to-day -day startup work life. Um, so I, uh, now I don't think OKR as the way that John Doerr inscribed works for small startup. Uh, you can't copy uh, line by line. And, uh, and what ended up happening in Lime is everyone, okay, everyone started doing OKR, you know, it became a waterfall and that waterfall perhaps delays things more than actually um, uh, measuring things. Um, and it doesn't really inspire ownership when it's a waterfall kind of system. Um, it's more important for each, in, each individual business unit or team or squad to, to think about their own OKR instead of based off their OKR on what the top line uh, or top level OKR is. Um, I think waterfall, like this cascading effect is something, it's a pitfall that you wanna avoid in setting OKRs. Um, so that's the problem that I have with OKRs at the time. And now when I think about OKR, I always uh, caveat it with um, perhaps a radical focus. Um, it's also another book that I read uh, by I think Christina Waki. Um, she basically uh, talked about OKR and how you apply this radical focus onto setting OKRs with your team, especially for startups. And that, I think that's a great system. Uh, I would definitely recommend folks taking a look at the book. Um, it talks about the pitfalls, exactly what I thought about before uh, when you apply OKR at a startup. Um, yeah. Um, sweet. Before we move into the second part of the episode, um, I noticed that you're, you know, working towards a master's degree in data science in uh, Northwestern, right? Uh, why did you decide to pursue that? And, you know, taking, just taking a step back, um, do PMs need an MBA? Yeah, I'll address your last question first. Um, does PM need an MBA? 
absolutely not. Um, I, I'm, again, as you can probably tell, or the audience probably can tell, I have a very strong opinion on certain things. And one of the things that I have is you don't need to have any advanced degree to be a PM. Um, I mean, advanced degree perhaps helps if you want to be a technical PM in the AI machine learning space. Um, but when it comes to MBA, I actually have a, um, I feel like MBA, having an MBA degree perhaps do you worse than actually does you do you any uh, any good um, because it it kind of level you up uh, further than you perhaps should be and that um, might be a little bit troublesome because if let's say you are interviewing for an APM role but you have an MBA degree um, the recruiters and hiring managers might think about would this be a fit for you in terms of leveling um, and even if you are interviewing for the right job and having the MBA perhaps uh, gives in, you know, the interviewers and recruiters an impression to expect certain things from you. Um, and the third question I will have as an interviewer or recruiter is, um, ha has MBA actually taught you anything? Um, I think MBA, in my opinion, uh, is, is very, um, I would say, focus a lot more on you know, resources in terms of networking, right? Um, is, is networking really something that PM will value um, in this day and age? Perhaps down the line in the future it will be, but uh, perhaps not now. So I'm of the strong opinion that I, you definitely don't need an MBA um, in, uh, in order to pursue a PM career. And uh, coming back to why I have a master or I am pursuing a master's degree in data science, um, is uh, there, there are two reasons. The first reason is very silly, uh, is because my parents um, really, really wanted me to <laughs> pursue a master's degree and they would not stop nagging about it until I actually started. Um, even after I started the degree, they will make sure I'm taking classes every quarter. So it's, it's parental pressure um, and I can rent on for about 30 minutes on why I think this is a bad, you know, bad thing that parents do and why I caved uh, eventually. Um, the second reason I uh, am doing, a, you know, something and learning more about data science is my interest in data science. Um, so back at Berkeley, I'm uh, majoring in industrial engineering, which is very stats focused. Um, and I've always been very interested in the space of optimization. Um, and I think data science is a good transition, uh, a higher degree to pursue if you are interested in that space. Um, and I really like the power of data science. I can leverage data science in, um, in solving my personal uh, side project, uh, coming up with personal side project. Um, in fact, I, uh, I've gone really interested in the real estate space where I uh, was leveraging you know, data science to predict housing prices and in the next few months, make sure I'm investing at the right time. So market timing is not the right thing to do. I do not recommend it. Um, but I think, you know, data science is just a really beautiful uh, space and powerful space. Um, in my opinion, it has nothing really to do with product management. Um, I have not been able to apply data science in my day-to-day -day work. Um, at you know, a big tech company yet. Um, so I wish I didn't, I didn't really uh, apply those, but at Lime, 
I was really able to get some hands-on experience applying exactly what I learned into my job. Um, I do have data scientists and analysts that I work with, but I also do a lot of the uh, IC work as uh, leveraging Python or SQL, what have you, um, just out of interest and also out of resource concern. I wanna get things done really quickly. I don't wanna wait to assign a data analyst or a scientist. So I would just do it by myself. So I, I, I anticipate doing so at my new startup, uh, which is one thing I really, really looking forward to. Um, and to answer the overall question, right? Do you need to have a advanced degree in, or have some knowledge in like analytics uh, to be a good PM? I don't think so. I don't think you need, um, absolutely need that, but it's one of the moat that you can build. Um, you can be that very analytical, critical thinking PM. Um, you can also be a very, you know, design focused, user uh, uh, centric uh, uh, PM. So it's it's a matter of what you are, what your natural inclination is. Um, to me, I think uh, my natural inclination is toward the analytical side. So I decided to build on top of it even further. That's sweet. That, that's a great summary. Um, moving into the second part of the episode, um, assuming you're interviewing a product intern at a company, um, what are some, what are the three general traits that you will look for in that person? Um, I think the number one trait would be fast learning. And in order to learn fast, you need to be humble, right? You need to be resourceful um, and you need to uh, be able to like iterate. Uh, taking feedbacks and iterate. So I think, so it, it's easy to say you're a fast learner, but you really need to um, encompass all three traits in order to be a fast learner. So that's one big thing I'm looking for and one of the most important things. Um, the second thing is uh, I can quickly identify a niche or, or a strength that this person has. Um, you know, there are many, many traits that a good PM uh, should have, right? Um, as I mentioned, you can be a very customer-centric PM, uh, you can be technical PM, you can be analytical PM, and what have you. Um, and I will look for perhaps one or two niche that I can find in that person. Um, and recent years, uh, I think the past couple of years, I have realized uh, analytics and technical are becoming more important. Um, if I have to, you know, rate those two, I think analytical is perhaps more important than being technical. Um, it doesn't mean that you need to know all those languages, R's, what have you. It's more so that you have a very strong data-driven um, uh, sense, right? So that's the second thing I will look for. Um, the third thing that I will look for is communication. Um, this comes in very, very handy in stakeholder management um, and you know, just being street smart, um, not being a book smart person. Um, it, it, it might sound a little bit vague, but during the interview, I, I'm, I will ask questions uh, like a hypothetical scenario where you have to deal with a delay um, and, or you will have to uh, explain certain things to a two-year-old, oh, not two-year-old, but like five-year-old. How would you communicate that problem? How do you explain crypto to a five-year-old? How would you uh, uh, do that? 
So I think those are the three things I would definitely look for in a in, um, aspiring PM. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what, what are some ways that candidates can show that they have those traits in either? I actually don't know the person who did this, but um, one person is interviewing for Spotify designer, I think. And their, their whole resume actually fits the design <laughs> uh, of Spotify, the design uh, Lego components and what have you. Um, so that's one creative way. So look for that creativity um, in your uh, resume um, and your outreach to the company. When we think about it, like job search cycle, um, it starts with the resume and then, um, and then moving on to networking or applying. And then the third part is actual interview. Um, it's, I would say it's important to make sure that resume highlights what you might want to communicate. What matters to you uh, in this case, right? So for example, if I have a, I have a analytical background, I want to make sure the very first things uh, that the interviewer or recruiter will see is I have that analytical mindset and what have you. Um, so perhaps it's something at the top. Um, have Share your resume with a couple of friends or even strangers on the internet to see what, what are the things that they take away from. Um, so having that identified and putting it out there is very important in your resume and in your pitch also. Um, I'm not off the belief that um, you should definitely network when you are interviewing um, and meaningful network, not just cold outreach and what have you. Um, so, you know, having those tidbits shining through in your uh, networking process is very important. Um, if you have an analytical background, you can, uh, when you are reaching out to someone in LinkedIn, um, you can highlight that very first sentence can be just about, I'm very data-driven and very analytical. Um, it might sound a little bit odd, but that's the thing that stuck with people. Uh, if I'm a, a hiring manager looking for exactly someone with a data science program, I will definitely click into a message and reply. And then lastly, in the interview, uh, it's important to, so every interview has an intro session at the beginning, right? Um, and in your intro session, make sure you highlight the nugget. You give the nugget first. You talk about what your strength is, what you want to highlight for this role. So if you're interviewing for a predictive analytic company, you want to highlight your data science background right away uh, because people lose interest after you know, a few seconds, I would say, and really limit your intro time uh, so that your uh, one or two things will really shine through and stick with the interviewer. Um, and in your interview questions and stuff like that, um, if you claim to be a very strategic, one common feedback that I got from my interviewers when I was interviewing for companies is that I have a very uh, good structure. Um, I would lay out exactly how many parts, what, what are the parts I want to talk to talk about, how many parts part there. I will label them as I go through them um, so that they have an idea of uh, beforehand and then stick with me uh, till the end. Speaking of interviews, um, what did you do to prepare for PM interviews? Any best practices that were um, super helpful in, in your journey? Yeah, I so there are two tips I have, and I perhaps 
Um, perhaps does not work for everyone, but you can try it also. One is um, don't apply for companies that you really, really want to join at first. Um, give yourself ample of time to practice. And I mean, you can mock interview with your friends and what have you. There are plenty of platforms out there and resources out there to do so, but it's still kind of different when you are doing actual interview. So make sure that you have, you, you strategically line up your interviews um, till, you know, you feel like you have reached a point break in your interview attitude and mindset to take on the, the dream jobs interviews, right? So that's one thing I would recommend. The other thing I would recommend is to take pause, um, take meaningful pause in your interviews. That's so, so, so important. I felt prey to this so many times. Um, in my early practice interviews with some companies, I would just went on and on. I wouldn't stop. Um, and oftentimes it just, my logic just fell apart. Um, it's very important for you to, you know, ask the interviewers and say, hey, this is a very interesting question. Or at this juncture, I wanted to take a moment to think about it. And, uh, and they really appreciate it. If I'm an interviewer and I see that my candidate is uh, taking the pause at the right time, I would say this candidate is a very thoughtful person. Um, and they, they know what matters and what doesn't. Um, rambling on does not matter. So I, I, I even recommend for you to, for anyone out there to perhaps uh, uh, take pause during your uh, interview answer. So for example, if the person asks, um, how would you build this product, right? And you lay out your structures um, and then you take a pause to think about your bullet points and what have you. Um, and then you start, you know, talking through each section, but at a section about, you know, actually design specific designs that you want to put forth, you can say, Hey, at this point, I want to give a little bit more thought, um, and take five seconds. And you can think about exactly what the solutions are, because it's very important to you to have a consistency in the interview, because if you don't, the interview feedback would be this person's answer actually fell apart at the end. Sweet, sweet. Uh, moving into the last part of the episode, um, is there, you know, you, you have mentioned a couple of books already. Um, is there any other uh, resources that you would recommend for aspiring product managers? Um, and then this could be for their professional growth mm -hmm. or just personal growth or just for entertainment. So in terms of books, I would recommend, um, it's, Perhaps the books that I recommend is not typical, like the Lean Startup or Cracking the PM interview type of books. Um, I, I would say it's still very applicable to your career as a PM. So the first book I would recommend is uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Um, it's, it's written by someone who is like an FBI instigator, a uh, uh, negotiator. Um, he's really, really good at negotiating. Um, in fact, the title says negotiate as if your life depends on it or something. Um, and they it talk about so many helpful tips that I find myself uh, applying to my daily work and it worked. Um, so that's definitely one book I would recommend for any PMs, especially PMs who need to deal with a lot of stakeholders, uh, which are every PM. Um, and then the other book is uh, Radical Candor by Kim, Kim Scott, I think. Um, I think uh, she talks about specifically 
as a leader or as a team player, how do you, um, how do you inspire ownership? How do you manage the team so that you have a successful uh, product or a successful outcome? Um, it talks about how to uh, bring your whole self to your company. Um, I think the line between being professional and being personal is blurry in this in this case. You want to care deeply and personally about your team, um, and you want to you know provide very candid feedback to them also. So that's the other book I want to uh, highlight. And then the third book is Radical Focus. Um, by reading Radical Focus, you kind of have to know what the uh, OKR is. So read John Doerr's uh, OKR book, but combine it with Radical Focus because that's um, that's really helpful for, for a PM joining a startup. Um, so that's my book recommendation. Um, and there are a lot of writing, uh, like perhaps shorter form writing, that's not books that I would recommend. Lenny Michisky's uh, newsletter is a um, golden book for PM. Um, I also recommend uh, reading, uh, following Shreya's Doshi on Twitter, um, who has, and I, may I plug in my Substack newsletter also. Um, if you're interested in more resources that I might reference to in my Substack, um, you can follow me also. Uh, my newsletter's name is Double Trouble. Uh, and I talk about PM learnings that I have and also my, um, and how I apply those PM learnings into my personal projects also. Uh, we'll have a very quick lightning round to wrap it up. Um, what's a habit of yours that has been beneficial to your life? Wow, that's, that's uh, <laughs> a pretty big question <laughs> uh, to my life. Um, so I think like doing what matters it's it's definitely very beneficial um and it, it applies to my work the the part about doing can be any words it can be build building it can be thinking um it, it, it again goes back to uh the book about radical focus you really wanted to identify what matters to you what matters to your team what matters to your product and get those things done first um and uh and ignore for the time being, what doesn't matter. Um, I think that's especially, especially true if you're working on a small project or joining a st small startup. You don't need a grand, um, you know, 20 page OKR about what matters because if that's what matters, you're not doing things right. So, you know, uh, focus on that thing that really matters and do it. What's your favorite consumer facing product? Airbnb. Mm. I, I know it's really common uh, answer, but I, I've always been a really, really big fan of Airbnb. Um, and I think their user experience uh, as from, from both host perspective and the guest perspective has been unmatched in the industry. Um, I, yeah, I think, and, and the product itself, it really unlocks and be the, becoming the first uh, player in the industry to unlock supply um, in the travel space. So in the travel and lodging space. So I, I would say Airbnb being the, my favorite consumer facing product. Next question is, uh, what's one non-financial in investment you've made recently that improved your uh, overall well-being? It would be walking my dog for like an hour and an hour and a half every day in the morning. During that time, I will listen to podcasts, um, you know, comedy podcasts or, you know, a crypto podcasts. And I will just observe my dogs doing all sorts of weird, weird things. 
Um, I think that time is undisturbed. I um, am able to think about what I want to do next um, or even, you know, not thinking at all. Um, so, so yeah, I think it really, really uh, improved my mental well-being um, by doing so. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what's one of your short-term or long-term goals? To become a successful Airbnb host. Mm. So I, as I mentioned, I had a uh, property in South Lake Tahoe and I've always wanted to be a host uh, that you know hosts people from around the world in touristy places. Um, and I have this vision of how I want to decorate the place. So I wanted to you know, get to the part where I get to host folks. So that's one of my short-term goals. And I, I, I anticipate this process of doing so involve a lot of, you know, applying my PM mindset and, and, and occupational habits into, uh, into it. Great. Um, what gets you excited these days? I, um, I become very excited about investment. Um, I think, uh, be it a real estate, be it uh, crypto, um, or like you mentioned, non-financial investment. I, I value a lot uh, in how I assess those opportunities and how, how those opportunities come to play out in the end. Um, and it's just very interesting. You need to put in a lot of thought when making an investment. So, yeah. Sweet. One last one. Uh, what mediocre superpower do you wish to have? So you couldn't be flying because flying is the superpower I want. Yeah, that's too too powerful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, um, I don't really have a good answer, but I wish I can um, not live on coffee. Um, I think nowadays yeah. I've become way too dependent on coffee, but not live on coffee, but still feel very stimulated and energetic every day. Yeah, that, that that's a good medium <laughs> superpower. Yeah. Um, Great. That will be the end of the episode. Um, before you sign off, where can our listeners connect with you on the internet? Yeah. Um, so LinkedIn uh, definitely is the main platform you can connect with me. Um, I'm happy to share my uh, personal email for those who have questions. Um, and lastly, again, I'm pretty active on Substack nowadays, um, which uh, I always welcome comments um, and DMs um, um, what I should talk about in my next post. Um, and yeah, I also offer coaching sessions actually for my subscribers. So, uh, that's one, uh, reliable way of getting in touch <laughs> with me very quickly. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, for the ones listening, thank you so much for tuning in. The books and resources mentioned in the episode will be attached in the show notes on the landing page. Feel free to check it out, subscribe, or leave a comment so that I can improve and produce better content for you. All right, listeners, thank you so much. See you next time.